I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Damika Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And Aunt Flo is my least favorite family member. Hmm. <laughs> who, who came up with these names, by the way? The red Panny. <laughs> it's Bloom. The, the gift. Did you get your gift? This is not Publishers Clearinghouse, where you get, like, a free gift in the mail, that kind of thing. Yeah. Have you heard about, there's, like, these families that have period parties. Like, parties when a girl starts her period? That seems mortifying to me. And I'm, like, I'm not on the train that, like, periods should be shameful. I, like, will straight up tell people if I'm having my period, like, male female non-binary i don't care um i like i'm well beyond like trying to hide it or act like it's not happening but if i had a daughter i would not be throwing a party that seems weird to me so i'm trying not to like laugh my best friend his his family they do, do they they get a cake you get a cake and it's a celebration so when his niece had her her she started into womanhood her flower blossom however they want to say it, when she started her period uh, you get a cake and flowers and it's like a thing it's like i don't think it's full on like like party but it is like a cake a celebration like a card i think <laughs> Which, in my mind, I'm like, what card do you get? And I guarantee, like, Hallmark has cornered that market. Guaranteed. If not, get on it. You're welcome. See, and that's exactly, like, that stuff mortified me as a child. I'm like, I don't need anyone telling me I'm becoming a woman. I'm 11. I know, like, it's not, like, this is just a step in puberty. Like, mm -hmm. I don't need to make a big deal about it because it's mortifying enough as it is. And that's the thing, like, even my sister and I, we handle it very differently. I think she was a cake. She wanted to party. She's very proud of it. And for me, I wanted to be as low-key as humanly possible. I actually started, my, my first period came the day of the Halloween dance in middle school. So it was my first dance. I'm like my favorite. And I think Halloween actually was that day because it was like a Friday. It was a Halloween. It was my first dance. And that very morning, and I was like, this is a cruel joke. And it's been a cruel joke ever since then. It's a running gag at this point. So same yeah. thing for you. Like, I have no shame. It's my, it's my body. And I hope my daughter will have the same thing of like, it's a natural thing. But no, let's go out to eat. Let's go get our nails done. If you want to talk about anything and process, learn how to practice self-care during that time, do it. We are not throwing a barbecue. Yeah. And, and, and I think... I think it's fine to mark milestones with some sort of celebration. That's fine. But there's, I've just have been mortified to learn that people send like bouquets of flowers to their yeah. kid at school. Like <gasps> I just, that is some um, turning red <laughs> embarrassment waiting to happen. You, the, when you said send flowers to school, like, my heart just sank into my own uterus. I was like, that's not even a possibility for me. And just that just like, just came over me of great fear of how horrible that would have been. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a different world we live in. But <laughs> do you think it's cultural? Like, I wonder, I haven't studied enough about how other cultures view puberty and girls like menstruation and stuff. I Maybe I should take a deeper dive into that and see. Maybe it's just I mean, culturally. We, I, I guess I did not celebrate any sort of like coming into adulthood, coming into womanhood. You know, there, there are cultures that do, right? Like bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs and mm-hmm. quinceañeras. And like, there, there are things people do, but like, my family didn't do those things. Yeah. So culturally, I think it's so strange that we have these markers, but we don't necessarily have like a, and now I think ages ago in a class I was taking, they were talking about that happening, particularly with males and delaying the understanding of adolescence and saying that American men have prolonged in their mind adolescence because we don't have that marker. We don't have the today. This is what you do. You read the Torah. You have this party. You're presented. It's a debutante. It's this, you know, Mm -hmm. where once you've been presented and it's been announced, that's that crest. That's the switch over between child and an adult. But life isn't that way. Like there isn't a switch, right? Like, and that's, that's the point is like puberty is like a several year process and it doesn't happen the same way for everyone and it doesn't Mm -hmm. happen at the same time for everyone and just because you know this is adolescence just because your body has developed into an adult mature body doesn't mean your brain is there so yeah it's it's not it's not a simple straightforward thing and I know isn't that crazy they're like you have this gathering you have this marking and now this is very like this is what it is and this is how you will be addressed and treated and it's like yes culturally I'm sure that's really important but physiologically and mentally like it is a process <laughs> yes um but along those lines we are yeah. talking about reproductive health today and specifically the experience of women of color within this system um and i think as we're talking about adolescence and becoming a woman and like getting your first period and all of these things like I think the experience is very different um, for girls of color than for white girls. Um, and I think it's different, like like you said, different cultures handle it in different ways. Different families within different cultures handle it in different ways. Um, but I think there is some realities we can address a little bit in a larger monolithic sort of way because there are truths and ways of treatment and access to treatment um, that have been well documented. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is a, it's important for us to address this, you know, like in 2019, um, our episode 19, we'll link in our notes, we talked very specifically about like abortion rights for women of color and what that looks like f- within the reproductive world. And we, I think we kind of want to talk about a little bit this time around of what that looks like beforehand and kind of the history and a little bit of distrust, you know, some may even borderline to say it. Uh, a critical race theory a little bit of how something from the past dealt racially of how it's impacting today for women of color in our reproductive rights into the system itself so with this topic it is 
it to me i guess for me is very very heartbreaking living in a first world american country and the the deeper you dive into it and you looked at our uh, maternity mortality rates are we which... first world country though <laughs> are we it's a question just is just, it? just gonna put that out there and uh what was it was it australia new zealand Switzerland it may have been Switzerland um or it was it was somewhere in Europe now that I'm saying it but like at the beginning of the pandemic they like reached out and it wasn't the country it was like the national university of Mm -hmm. that school and we're like people students who are in what did they say countries with underdeveloped healthcare systems such as the U.S. need to return home um so that's that's some some shade some like low-key shade that i like to revisit every once in a while oh no that's switzerland oh no i the the shade that i like to which is shade on us it's not shade on them because they're pointing out something very true of like the the amount of children that go hungry within the united states oh no and they have commercials they have their sensitive seven cents a day kid commercials for for us so yeah but this is a bit of a tangent that we don't need to go down um, and maybe don't even need to keep it. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think you're right. Like even despite what, what we're told about, you know, being the cutting edge, which we're not, and just healthcare in our country, we have to recognize that there are like several systems within the system that are de facto operating. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, once again, if we do not talk about the history, and like the the father of gynecology himself was at J. Marson Sims. I mean, he his whole body of work, where statues are erected and halls of schools have been named after, performed horrific experimentations and surgeries on s- enslaved black women yep. without anesthesia. And this is, and there's a the thing. This is not one of those things of oh, we piece it together. Homie had a diary, like, and talked about how painful it was and how horrific and how on, on one woman he did a specific surgery like thirty different times, and he was basically his main work is being able to like fix up holes within the uterus and the urinary tract system, and I'm it that. This is incredibly gruesome and the detail of what he had and talking about these women like test subject and, and damaged goods. And it is just, sorry, I'm trying not to get emotional, that the, the title and the prestige of the, the reason why we have a lot of the research we have today is from the work that mm. he did. But if we don't realize how that is created and trickled down a distrust within women of color within the gynecological field within reproductive health you cannot deny that those two things are interconnected Mm. so it is it's something that's always like nagged at me that we talked about in our uh women's day episode of the the woman that you brought up who's an illustrator right for medical Medical. stuff yeah and it's so interesting that 
gynecologically that so much of what we know today came from women of color, but yet when we have medical textbooks, we cannot get a woman of color. We don't see a lot of illustrations. I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, I never saw a woman of color with the whole like half of a human body, half of the inside with a baby in the tummy. You never see that. But so much of what we even know today in medicine was because of the work done on black women. Yeah. Explain that to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is, it is uh, definitely unreal to think about, about that, that reality. Uh, And I think it's, it's something relatable for people across the board. And this brings into the conversation something we always talk about, which is intersectionality, right? It's like, you can't think of women in an intersectional way. It's like, we think of women we think of white women. We don't think of the vast array, the the rainbow of experiences um, and backgrounds and how that might impact care and healthcare in our systems. And, and with that, I mean, to sit there and say that I am not overly concerned at the rate that women are dying in childbirth, once again, in our developed, we'll just call it that, our developed country here in America. It is still shocking where, you know, there was this this amazing report, I believe, from where they marked it from 1990 to 2015. We have countries like Portugal, Germany, Sweden, Italy, where their mortality, maternity rates, which is deaths per 100,000, are declining. Like you could see this beautiful graph and it's just all like pew. Denmark, Finland, they're all their numbers are decreasing for the women who are dying in childbirth or childbirth related um, situations, diseases, infections. And America is like, once the 2000 hit, it just has this sharp spike of, it just jets up even it's, 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 it's getting worse and not better (laughs) y'all. We were flatlining in the 90s. And then once the 2000s hit, we had this very noticeable spike. Hmm. Yeah, and I think we also need to bring to the conversation, talking more intersectionality, the issue of class within a capitalist system. Mm. In 2011, so this is like older statistics, women of color were disproportionately represented amongst uninsured. Mm -hmm. So um, of like the 23 million American uninsured women nearly three-fifths were women of color, whereas the population, women of color, are like a third, a third of the U.S. population, or the women population, and somehow they are three-fifths of the uninsured women population. So I think all of these things kind of run hand-in-hand when we're talking about any sort of reproductive health and long-term health impacts, when we're talking about mortality rates, all these things, we need to really be taking that intersectional approach to examining these issues. It's not just women. It's not just women of color. It's not just poor women. We have to look at all of these things and how they work together to create this, this perfect storm that puts certain populations at higher risk than other populations. Girl, and let's not even mention age. Mm. Like, if you are high in your 30s to 40s, it's like you have eight times more likely 
to die than, yeah. than women in the 18 to 25 category. And it's great. It's, it's absolutely startling. So once again, I love, love what you said about the intersectionality because, you know, women of color are three to four times likely to die during childbirth. And then you put people who are within a lower tax bracket within that, and that bumps up to five to six. And then it's people who English is their second language yeah. or they're in their forties and girl, it's just, you can literally see it like an equation of every time you add in these factors, you see the increase of their likely to die during childbirth, which I think when we think about it, it seems like a very archaic problem. You think, mm. oh, once we learn how to wash our hands, we're fine. People have children every day, I think, because it's looked at a very routine medical <laughs> issue. I think people forget how absolutely dangerous and uh, stressful this is on a, on a woman's body and I think because we've made it very routine we forget that there's actual very real life or death uh, issues that are very equated with uh, reproduction and reproductive rights and birth and it feels like and part of the problem is women women of color women in a lower social class are just not being listened to and believed mm -hmm. This is a little bit off topic, but it, mm. it brings up for me the paradox of women's health is seen as very routine. Childbirth is seen as very routine, but like, I feel like my knowledge about it is so lacking and it's, it's just overwhelming to think about the amount of women in the world who have gone through things and the fact that it is not seen as socially acceptable to talk about these things uh, to a to as much of an extent as we hear about like even male male oh. healthcare things right i think about it's it's really been in the last i don't know 10 years of my life where i've heard more and more open talk about like what pregnancy is like, what childbirth is like, openly talking about like contraception and gynecological visits and what all of this was, because I feel like for a long time, it was a very much don't ask, don't tell sort of culture surrounding women's health. And I, I'm, I'm very happy to see a slight shift in that, but I think it needs to go so much further to really normalize these experiences, right? And in particular for, for one, for women who have not gone through them, and two, for women who have gone through them and need to realize that they are not alone, that they mm -hmm. are not the only ones that have faced these sorts of particular challenges. Not because it makes it completely easier, but because you just feel less alone. You feel like Ooh. things, you aren't a freak. You aren't, you know, like these are things that lots of women have experienced. Mm -hmm. Well, I think when you also share your experiences, you can start gauging, is this normal? This is not normal. I should go seek help. Hmm. Because when you don't know what's supposed to be happening with your body, yeah. that's a very dangerous place to be. And I completely agree about what it feels like in the last 10 years. I remember being young and knowing full, well, I knew what Vi like Viagra was. 
way right. before yeah and it was very well talked about it is very there's something very important it there's commercials and it looked like a very beautiful thing and it was very popular it was prime prime is it very important though like <laughs> to them that, that's what i'm i didn't say it was to me <laughs> just gonna throw out there that penetrative sex isn't the only sex that exists um and i'm i don't need to talk about your erection or lack thereof during the wheel of fortune i'm just letting you know <laughs> I never appreciated that. If we could be a little bit choosier. I mean, I know that's their prime candidate. And you know, it's what you're really looking for. But I did not like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I didn't understand about discharge. Yeah. But no, yeah. no one talks about it. Right. So no. you're like, oh, God, what is happening yes. to me? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I think as women start taking more a hold of their sexuality, especially women of color, because even though we are over sexualized, the moment we start talking about a sexuality, about talking about physical pleasure, being like, no, the vagina has a scent. It has a smell. It has a taste. It has, you know, and these are all normal. Because let me tell you, girl, like as a, as a plus size woman, you were really like as a woman dot. I'll put as a woman, you are very self-conscious, but I thought there's something wrong with me. I look bad. I smell bad. I have stretches. I have marks. I have discharge. But the more people share their story, the more I'm like, wow, I am not alone, like what you're saying. But then when things start changing, I'm like, oh, I should probably ask some questions. And it could save your life. Yeah. I have known quite a few women who've reached out while pregnant to other women and been like, is this normal? Is this okay? That sounds strange. Have gone to the doctor and like, oh, you actually had a clot. You actually had some bleeding. But because we just don't know, I think we're like, oh, everyone's pregnancy is different. Yes. So that means more women need to share their stories. So that way we can try to find these patterns, link it through and figure out, especially once again, women of color are more predisposed genetically physiologically to other known diseases like hypertension like cardiac arrest that will really complicate the childbirthing process that need to be considered and they're not often in that once again when we go to birthing classes and go to question and answering and even read books they don't really consider in the woman of color the black experience the brown experience what that looks like and oh man it is it is isolating and it's scary. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's overwhelming. I think to your point, it's like not even not just the dialogue between people regarding different experiences, but having the ability and language to talk about your own experience. Like I, going back to this conversation of, of discharge, everyone's yeah. favorite conversation. Yeah. Um, but you, like, <laughs> come to the right place. But yeah. like, even just being able to talk about that as an individual of, of what you're experiencing, then you start to realize, oh, my body behaves in different ways at different times in the month. So even though it's like discharge it's like not all discharge is the same and actually this is kind of a cool thing because it's your body telling you like where you are in your cycle but like yeah. how can you how can you ever reach that like they did not tell us that in sex ed at yeah. school right and it took like years of my life before I realized that that was the the reality of what was happening with my body not not discharge but like that you can track your cycle based mm -hmm. off of your discharge. That's amazing. It's incredible. But like, 
you, we have to wait for ourselves to figure this out. But like, if we were having active conversations, even around our own individual experience, it would empower you so much earlier. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm I'm here for it. I think because sex ed was taught with the whole, this is your body, this is how babies are made, this is how to protect yourself. And that was the realm, like, sex ed was just that, mm-hmm. sex ed was very centered around that which is we we briefly mentioned this before i'm like we make why do we make puberty such a sexual thing yeah it does not make sense to me it wasn't about health and i thought that was interesting that it's like we you and i are calling it sex ed but it's called health yeah but yet it's not centered around that of talking about how young girls can care for themselves within that 28 day cycle of like what your energy will look like brain fog fatigue mood and how to best care for yourself to get the best out of your education and your relationships to better know yourself because you do need extra care during certain times and that's something I have I am still learning how to care for myself Mm -hmm. cyclically like to do that within a cycle I'm still learning that and even for young men what does that look like for their bodies like I, I do sympathize for them too but specifically today dang it women <laughs> you can't sit there and this is like i this is something i've said before you can't sit there and talk about reproductive rights and talking about abortion and talking about access and if you're not talking about the foundational building blocks of letting a a girl a woman know about what their body is doing how have you have the audacity to sit there and say and try to close down parent plant parenthoods and pass a heartbeat bills when you yourself do not even understand how the woman's body works it is baffling to me yeah i mean we talked about this in response to the texas health health bill um and it's recently been passed elsewhere now so we're just like watching it all like inch closer and it's terrifying but anyone with like a basic understanding of women anatomy and understanding of what the uh, a pregnancy cycle looks like knows the danger of those bills because as we've we mentioned in that episode is you know it's it's banning it at six weeks but the countdown starts from your last period so you if Mm -hmm. if if you have regular four-week cycles, which a lot of women do not, you wouldn't even notice until you're already four weeks pregnant, regardless of when that that sex actually occurred and when, you know, that, that sperm met egg, as it were. Like, these numbers are kind of like not, not an exact science, <laughs> you know? So I think... I think that I honestly think that the people making those decisions don't even, not all of them, but some of them probably don't even realize that that's the reality in their mind. They're like, oh, six weeks into a pregnancy, of course a woman should know, which is ridiculous. And also likely said by someone who has not lived in, you know, a female body where... (laughs) things are constantly in flux and sometimes you're like something is off I'm not sure what and I know Mm -hmm. this is probably not a healthy way to live my life but I'm always like well I'm gonna give it like one cycle (laughs) and see what happens you know like see if it's just something weird some sort of blip in in my cycle 
no, no. I, be- I mean, here's the thing. Just this is just from friend to friend. To me, that's normal because if you have things that are like high anxiety, high stress, depression, diet change, environmental change, like I think once again, because we don't share that because we automatically skip cycle pregnancy, it's like, oh, no, no, a lot of women have delays. Oh, I was just going to say in real talk, I have an IUD. I do not have periods because I have an IUD. I had COVID in January, February this year. My first period following covid i had a period i had not had a period the whole time i had an iud like (laughs) things are just like are crazy they're crazy in there i don't know what's happening um you know and (laughs) and i think that's that's like another situation of like people who have not really talked about that and i guess i just probably haven't known that many women around my age who had had covid And so I was like, this is crazy. It must be related to COVID. And then as I like dig into the internet, I find that that's actually happened to a number of women, uh, women with IUDs who their, their cycles were thrown off, all women whose cycles were thrown off by having this disease, this virus in their body. And it's just something that's like, perhaps not been publicly talked about in a way that like, I knew to expect it. Yeah, because what you might lose your taste, you might lose your sense of smell, you might, but never that. I have never like. I thank you so much for sharing that, because once again, that is not put out to that, and I think as that would freak me out after, because COVID was already scary and stressful yeah. enough, and then that would happen. Like that, that would that would I would be undone. I'd be so scared, and I think when we're talking about these things, you know. I'm at least coming from a place of I, it's very frightening when your body does things that you don't understand and you have this fear, at least for me, I have a great fear of going to the doctor because everything is about me being fat mm. as a fat woman. Everything is about being, being fat. And I already know I'm not going to be listened to about my pain because I've not only experienced it there. It is also very well documented that, there's this trope that black people have thicker skin, right? It's called the thick skin like concept and that we are under prescribed pain medication that we are, we often get ignored. We suffer more infections. We, we go home earlier than our white counterparts, yeah. you know? And so knowing scientifically and then also experiencing that, I know I avoid it. So when something weird happens to my body, it's a very hopeless place to be because what do I do? Do I go to a doctor where I'm not going to be listened if I already don't feel well and I'm already scared? Or like you said, I had to go to the internet and hopefully someone else has experienced something I did to give me a ray of hope that I'm actually okay. It's crazy. And it, it, it breaks my heart. And when you tell white women of these things, it's one of the things that once again, it becomes this, this competitive. Well, well, a lot of women have this problem. A lot of women don't get listened to. You're completely right. Women should be listened to more. What I'm saying is that there is a group of women who don't occupy nearly as much of the population as you do, who suffer and witness oppression, who don't get listened to, who do far more dangerous and risky operations and surgery than you do within that mm-hmm. group. Right. And that's and that's the intersectionality to, to bring it back to that. Right. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 the complexity of operating within 
various levels of oppression for different reasons and how you're seen because of that or how you're not seen because of that. What is your take? I I want to get your opinion talking about in the last 10 years or so that we feel like it's been a lot more okay to talk about tape smell discharge periods cramps sometimes you poo during childbirth you know all these things right that are big at least for me we've talked about the whole crunchy granola what natural kind of movement is seen predominantly very Mm -hmm. white right do you also feel that that is the same thing when we talk about things like breastfeeding talking about those who get to be the loudest in spaces about their gynecological health do you feel that that is also conceived like i believe white people white women have that space to talk a little bit more open and free about that as opposed to women of color yeah um i would agree with that statement i think Mm. it goes back to something we've we've mentioned and maybe it's been a while since we've talked about this but this idea that as a person of color it's almost like you can't be seen as an individual so like an individual choice to breastfeed or not all of a sudden reflects on your whole culture (laughs) whereas a white woman can make that individual choice and i think there is this increasing pressure movement i'm not sure what to call it but this increasingly common idea that like breastfeeding is the ideal and so they're seen as like like somehow better um and and that isn't to say that all white women who breastfeed think of themselves as better than everyone else i don't think that's the case Mm -hmm. at all but i think there is like this holding this up as the golden standard whereas if um you know, a black woman says she wants to breastfeed. People are just like, that's her culture. <laughs> you know, like it's not, she's make, she's not making an informed choice on what's best for her child. That's just her culture. <laughs> it's ancestry. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I recently, I, I actually was thinking about this. Uh, I think it's Gwyneth oh, Paltrow. God, girl. <laughs> I, I <already> <laughs> triggered, triggered. <laughs> I didn't. That was a straight tackle into the mic. I it may not make it into the show. I apologize. Anyway, she actually has like a candle that's like her oh, vagina yeah. or something. Very, it's like yeah, vanilla yeah. or something, so I, right? Which that must be nice. Uh, actually, no, I don't like sweet smells. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's not TMI if it's accurate. It's um, I, and I feel like I feel like that's a very privileged yeah could you imagine if like rihanna or someone like released a vagina scented candle could you imagine that backlash i mean can you imagine that scent (laughs) and the burn on that candle (laughs) can you it would just smell like success But I mean, I, I love that you brought up Brianna because I so I was actually thinking in this episode of uh, or in this mindset of uh, Janelle mm. Monae who did the song Pink, yeah, yes, Pink, and had these very iconic pants yes. that came into the shape of a beautiful yeah. Libya. Yeah, that video, <laughs> man, that video is something else. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it hurts it. It hurts it, right? Right? But that but that's the thing too. And I'm just like I think people were like, "Oh. Oh, oh, 
oh, Janae, you can't do that. But yet there's these candles that you can buy. And what was it? I watched an interview with Brianna Coos, who's pregnant, and she is turning it out with pregnancy. Mm. I love, She has that belly out and proud. She is wearing sexy, see-through mesh, and she is constantly pushing about people being uncomfortable with her body. She wore this very, very famous lavender mm. Swarovski crystals, and people are asking, are you comfortable? She goes, what? Because you can see my breasts. You can see my nipples. Like, they're covered with crystals. <laughs> like... I love I like I love it and she has her belly very like out and proud and still incredibly sexy and going for that and I think people are kind of already giving some side eye to that of really owning herself and owning her body and I feel like there have been white women who push that and it's like oh yeah femininity feminism going forward and it's like that's kind of ghetto and what about modesty and that's not how moms act and what tone are you setting for young girls you're an example yeah yeah I mean it's it comes down to what is seen as dangerous and what is not seen as dangerous right And, and women's health once talked about is seen as dangerous if we talk to 11, 12, 13-year-old girls about their cycles, about their vaginas, about periods, about what is consent, about those things, I am not giving them a permission slip to go off and start a brothel. I do not understand that correlation. The more I learned about sex as a young person, the more I'm like, I'm good. (laughs) That sounds sounds unpleasant. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like work. I have to consider the other person's pleasure. Ah, I'm good. I have enough time, a hard time with myself. I'm good. I don't play well with others. Yeah. You know, like the more I learned about it, the more I'm just like, I am not in a headspace. I'm not ready for any of that. And that's okay. But that's just dag on it. Well, and, and what I find confusing is the fact that like, we live in these bodies regardless of what our sexual experience is, you know? And so I don't see the danger in learning about our bodies. Like we need to, and we will in some way. So why not like do so in a very straightforward manner where people know what is happening and, Regardless of whether you go on to have sex or not, you know, I think there are realities of things happening in your body and we've tied it all up in this weird package with sex and we live in this weird puritanical society where we see that as bad. But I'm like, just just explain to young people what is happening to their body so they understand what is happening. Probably the biggest thing, I guess one thing I want to take away from our conversation and we want our unicorns and our co-conspirators to take away is share your stories, Mm. share your experiences. There is nothing gross or inherently wrong, wicked, evil, sinful, dirty, you know, (laughs) none of the going on within your body. You are probably more normal than you'll ever understand. And you can save your life or others by sharing what's going on with your body. Like, do it. It's I, I think about um, 
women who are pregnant, like in the group that I had, I wasn't, I had like three or four friends all at one time who are pregnant and they would literally like, does this happen to you? They stick what, where? And they were all incredibly intelligent women, degrees, jobs, just thoughtful, mindful people who were knew the ways of the world. But they're like, I had no clue they did this testing. I had no clue that this was normal. I have to go to the dentist. I lost a tooth. I'm now allergic to eggs. Like, it's crazy what childbirth and reproductive health will do. And I think we're just, if we could start sharing those stories and making open spaces for people, it could, I mean, I'm not over-exaggerating. I think it could really save lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, in a world where we are simultaneously more connected, but then like people do struggle with like feel feeling disconnected or feeling like they're not living up to the hype of, of life on social media. Right. I think it becomes even more important, particularly as people are kind of curating their online presence to just show the good, Um, you know, people might, someone might see uh you know some woman instagram influencer who's talking about like how beautiful her pregnancy is and how she's glowing and how she feels all these wonderful things and she's building this life inside of her uterus and like um you know and and someone who might be struggling might feel like there's something Girl. wrong with them because they aren't glowing you know that is so real because I felt like a miserable panda. I was I, I was so sick. I was so tired. I did not feel glowy. I felt incredibly sweaty. I just felt uncomfortable in my own body. I was not was not blogging, was not posting weekly photos, and that's okay. My experience was also very normal and just as equally beautiful because our bodies are amazing. The human body is incredible and. I'm biased, but I think the female body is like the more incredible half of that. Girl, I mean, is it biased if you say it facts? <laughs> I mean, we're here. The thing, like, the thing is, like, scientifically, match me. Like, do what I do. Be on my level. <laughs> I'm looking at you, penis. Yeah, Be on penis my level. Penis is just there. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I don't. You know what? Dot. <laughs> But I mean, <laughs> it has I its place. It has its place. <laughs> I'm a grown woman. It has its place. I'm just saying that in this, I'm, I'm really amazed. And I'm learning more and more each day to be more amazed at my body and what other women's bodies are doing and continually try to be more comfortable of talking about it. And that's something I know I need to work on encouraging other women of color about that the world may over-sexualize you for whatever reason, it'll fantasize about you and make you into an exotic creature, but you're a human being with real functions and for your safety and because I care about you, we need to talk about this openly and unabashed. <laughs> so let's see, let's share those stories. Yes. Um, any final thoughts or shall we switch gears? Oh, just power to the V. There we go. Yeah. There you go. What about you? Do you have any wrap up or little nuggets of wisdom? No, nothing that hasn't already been said, but 
you know, mm. I think there's a lot more transparency would make a lot of us feel a lot more normal. Hmm. Yeah, right. And we don't even have time to to talk about the strain that's on the medical field itself within that. They did a story of where they followed a group of medical students within the maternity field who actually never was in a labor and delivery ward room. Like they got their whole training there and they end up in labor delivery, but never been in it beforehand. Wow. And they're like, how does that work? But there's such a strain and such a need. And it is... We need that and we need to go into these medical places and not be afraid to ask questions and not to leave until we are satisfied. Right. And that is very challenging. So trying to embold women as well to be persistent as well. It's it's hard because it does feel like we have to fight for everything else. But you're you're important. Your health is important. Yeah. So. I feel like that's what ge- has given rise to this whole field of like doulas and things is like this used mm. to be generational knowledge that was shared and now because it's not it has necessitated a whole field of people who are there to be that support for you who know what's going on so that they can help guide you through the process and and that isn't even just women's health right like there's death doulas there's like all sorts of you know and and I think all of that is tied up in this like weird disconnect we have from from healthcare in our everyday lives as a consequence of being the greatest nation in the world am i right girl well how are you gonna bring this juicy tidbit towards the end of the conversation it like how are you i can tell we're both just waking up a bit now. <laughs> i want to get into it well i'm sticking a pin i'm putting it in the jar putting it on the shelf it's it's there it's pickling and we'll have to get to it when it's because i def i would love to dive mm. into that but in the meantime, let's shift gears. Damika, what is making you happy this week? You know what? Because I am a mid thirties, it takes a little to make you happy. I actually I had my first eye appointment since twenty seventeen, wow. the two weeks ago, and I ordered new glasses. Hopefully, by the time this is out, I'll have new glasses because I've been in desperate need of them. But yeah, I guess that just made made me happy. <laughs> like I'm not happy that paying everything out of pocket, but it, I'm also really like have to still acknowledge that my privilege of just like we were able to afford it had the money planned for it budget it went had appointments you know have all this access to order glasses like you have to still acknowledge these privileges right so I'm very excited but yeah new yeah. glasses just something to help if we're talking healthcare, like how come our yeah. teeth and our eyes are not part of our health <laughs> I do we, we don't we don't um, I'm excited to see your new glasses. I myself am a collector mm. of cheap glasses from China. Uh, <laughs> so I'm constantly <laughs> switching it up. 
I love that. I love that. I'm looking into also getting a prescription sunglass. I've never had I prescription sunglasses. I just got prescription sunglasses for like the first time this year. And it's like Did a you? game changer. It is so nice. Is it is it? so nice because usually I'll only wear sunglasses if I'm wearing contacts, which is like twice a month maybe. Um, yeah. But but now it's just more shit I have to carry yeah. around. But. <laughs> exactly. you know, I think that's the thing too. Like I, I went to go get contacts and do you get this, you know, your glasses prescription when you go get these things. And I was just, honestly, I hadn't worn contacts once again in years, especially with the pandemic. I won't put my fingers in my eyes and I'm so fussy and my eyes are so dry and I'm reading so much. And I, I, you already know, you're in front of a computer so much. It's exhausting. And I was like, but if I'm going to go to New Mexico, I want to have sunglasses, the whole thing. Cause I have sensitive eyeballs, but I'm just like, that sounds like work having to take the little case and having enough fluid and my fingers and my hands being clean. I have a kid sticky and my hands are never guaranteed to be clean. Then you put sanitizer on them. I'm going to put that shit in my eye. Because yeah. <laughs> I would do that. I would do that. Let's be real. I have done that. And I was just like, but if I just get prescription sunglasses, that would that would change everything. Highly recommend. So. If it's accessible, mm. get prescription sunglasses it's so nice they're in the car they're in the proverbial car i might just have to send just set i just i just imagine what it'd be like just to like flick and it's just there oh yeah. anyway i went on a road trip I and i was like that. wow driving with sunglasses is so nice <laughs> I mean, I don't have sensitive eyes, but that doesn't mean that, like, all the older people in my family still didn't get, like, cataracts, you know? Um, like, yeah. my eyes are, like, black, essentially, so I don't have, like, <laughs> the sensitive eye thing that I see, like, my blue-eyed husband go through, but um, it's nice. It's nice to have that option. Mm-hmm. What about so besides having really dope sunglasses, what else is um so this is perhaps a bit of a like grim um happy place. I love you, Danny. Like but, but it brought joy to me thinking about it. It sounds petty. <laughs> well, I'm it's, excited. It's not petty. It's not petty. Okay. okay. So okay. my my happy place is the imminent invasion. Of the Joro spider. <laughs> is that what have, is, is that what the invasion you, is for you, this, this year? This is what I've heard is the latest invasion. Um, so okay. the Joro or Joro, I'm not sure how to say it in Japanese. It would be Joro um, spider. There's a spider that was native mm -hmm. to Japan that in in 2013, but who knows how we say it here? In 2013. Um, first like made it made its appearance stateside um in georgia and has spread like throughout the south um but it is predicted this year that it is just gonna like spread all over the east coast oh my do they make that the massive webs, they make right? they, they like, make big they... webs they can grow to be the size of your palm <laughs> they are ven <laughs> venomous um but they you know they only bite when provoked they aren't really deadly or anything uh, and their fangs are so same. small they don't usually even break human skin so it's a bit like fear mongery to call them a venomous spider i think um 
<laughs> but they are a beautiful spider. They are like, they come in these bright colors. They're like yellow and blue and red stripes with black. They're oh. so beautiful. And then they spread by making like a little balloon of web that they hold on to and, and fly. Also, they're whimsical. They're just yeah, like Mary Yeah, Poppins I think spiders. they're whimsical and adorable. I'm I'm here for it, and I'm here to hear all the stories of people being terrified by of an invasion of spiders. Oh, I love it. My husband will not hear this. I will have to shield him. Been like, don't listen to this one. Don't, give you don't him, have to give listen him, to that. Yeah, obviously. give him a timestamp. Yeah, I will definitely have to. I no, actually, he's not. He doesn't mind spiders too much. That is, who doesn't love an invasive species? <laughs> yeah, amazing. I just, I love the I'm image of just it. all these like parachuting spiders spreading throughout the East Coast. They're all. This is for Charlotte, and yeah. they just like just glide around beautifully. Exactly. I love it. I'm here for it. I and let's can we please remember? I think we do this in spring. We always say it's gonna be a moth or a cricket or this. Yeah. Like remember, guys. Yeah, I'm like remember all. It's a pattern, not the end of the world. We have it. It goes like in this, but this is something yeah. special. I like this. Let's change up on the on the well, yeah. The and I mean they're invasive <laughs> and they're big, but I mean experts say that it's like nothing to worry about and who knows if we trust the experts but i'm gonna say they're cute spiders so i'm here for it because i guess if they grow to be that big i don't imagine birds wanting to mess with that so i guess that'd be the big thing if they don't have a predator but i think it's just once again as is often in nature just the females that are big the males are like Mm -hmm. half an inch or something this is a perfect like we chose perfect <laughs> happy places to co- males being half inches women being big and beautiful yeah. <laughs> oh man that is perfect oh so all right if you are down and out um feeling very grim about all healthcare system um sunglasses that are prescription and you can use them to blind you from the beautiful colors of the spiders yeah. joro spider that are coming the Jodo spiders. I love it. I'm absolutely here. All right, y'all. We'd love to hear what's making you happy. We'd love to hear your stories, your healthcare stories. We'd love to hear mm-hmm. what you would love to hear. You can reach out to us via email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at biracialunicorns, and we're on Twitter at biracialmagic. We want to give a huge shout out to Dolly Pop Art, who's done our very iconic unicorn photo. Thank you. I love it. It's uh, it's everything. Please go to social media. Follow her. She's got merch. Do it up. Please, we want to thank uh, Joseph Scott, who's done our intro and outro music. Go to his Instagram and follow that. And also a huge shout out to So Smith Photography. That's done some of our beautiful in-person photos. We appreciate that. It does take a village to get this information out there. While you're there, please go ahead and give us a review, a glowing review, a positive good one. We just That helps us put us through the, the machine and be able to get this information into the ears of unicorns and co-conspirators so we can share these stories so we can help people 
so people don't feel alone so we can save lives about this and if you want to help us in our lives you can buy us a cup of coffee you know we have all the information linked in our show notes what that does it just goes right back into the podcast we do not make any any dollar dollar bills y'all from this we are just here to give out the content and to uplift our community truth truth <laughs> truth hurts all right y'all we'll be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode mm-hmm. peace out peace